Today's episode is sponsored by Wool and Waves. Wool and Waves is an online yarn, needles, and notion shop. Based on Vancouver Island, they offer a wide variety of Canadian indie dyed yarns and products from a host of talented small businesses. They are crafters too, and they can help you make your project dreams come true. Listeners to this show can save 15% off regular priced yarn, needles, and notions with the code CIA15 until November 30th, 2021. So visit them at woolandwaves.com or yarn.ca. Thank you so much, Wool and Waves. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 198 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about building a group of craft brands with my guests, Mark Highland and Ursula Morgan. Mark is the CEO of Premier Needle Arts and is a seasoned marketing sales and corporate executive with 30 plus years of experience building brands and successful organizations. During his career, Mark's hands-on leadership style found him in various leadership positions, implementing strategic direction and execution guidance at multi-million to billion-dollar brands and companies. And today, Mark continues to provide his leadership to the brands and companies of Premier Needle Arts, where they are focusing on growth initiatives, long-term strategy, and M&A merger and acquisition opportunities within the needle arts world. Mark Highland, welcome. Hi, Abby. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here with Ursula. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you as well. And Ursula Morgan is the Chief Marketing Officer at Crafts Group. Ursula is a global award-winning season technology and craft business executive. And before joining Crafts Group in January 2020, Ursula led the digital innovation and marketing team as Senior Vice President at CSS Industries. Previously, Ursula held the CEO role at CreativeBug, a subscription video on demand platform, and led the acquisition of CreativeBug by Joanne Fabric and Craft Stores in 2017. Ursula Morgan, welcome back to the podcast. Lovely to be here again, Abby. It only feels like yesterday that we spoke, and I think it must have been three or four years ago. Exactly. So I'm very excited to talk with you both. And Mark, I wanted to start with you. I know back in around somewhere around 2005, you were recruited by a private equity group to become the CEO of Handy Quilter. And I wondered what the business was like at Handy Quilter when you first joined and kind of what some of the potential you saw there was. So that's a great question, um, Abby. So yeah, 2005 was the first time that private equity entered kind of into the craft world, um, or early 2000s. In 2005, Handy Quilter was bought by the first private equity group called Peterson Partners, and they asked me to come and be the CEO. Now, look, I had no experience in this world other than you need to know I'm married to a very passionate, creative person, Suzanne, who loves to quilt. And uh, that... The company at that time was a very small company focused on long arm. Um, they had some pretty innovative ideas, innovative products in the marketplace, and it really started to reach out to touch and, and work with the consumer on the consumer level. 
And so the opportunity was to see where we could take that from an overall standpoint. Uh, maybe the longer industry back in the early 2000s was really much more industrial, very focused on these very large machines. And Handy Quilter really had a fantastic idea through our founder, Laura Barris, was to take and make it a more meaningful, usable, easy-to-use, systematic approach that, the cons- that could focus on the consumers and her needs, wants, and desires to be better at what she was doing rather than just creating this very large machine. So we saw a great runway, if you will, to help expand that long-arm uh, business opportunity and really bring good, solid products with technology to the consumers so they could do more with what with what they wanted to do. Right. So you're saying that at that time, long-arming wasn't, or owning a long-arm machine even, wasn't something that you know, an avid quilter really had as an option. And it was much more of an industrial process. It very much was. It was a very industrial looking. Um, took It was the various oiling ports on the machine that you had to oil very specifically, uh, very hard, a very difficult maintenance schedule you had to follow in a very rigorous schedule, uh, very large and bulky. And, and to that point, um, fairly expensive and very, very niche. And most people were buying them to do some sort of business. The reality was the consumers saw a great opportunity to be able to finish their own quilts. It was just much large, too bulky, and didn't have a lot of technology around it. So that was the real opportunity. Okay, great. Um, and so um, how did you do that? How did Handy Quilter go about doing that? Did you start creating new machines and then a new kind of marketing approach? Well, I think the opportunity that I, that I learned very early on in my marketing career is that you ask lots of questions, you listen, and you talk to the end consumer. And so Handy Quilter at that point in time focused purely on that end consumer and said, what do you need? What do you want? Why do you, what are you trying to do? And what are those things that you don't have today that you would like? Uh, from my experience is when you ask those critical questions, the consumer will give you the answers. The question is, will you as a company, a brand, a product, then take that and turn it into what they're looking for versus just making something that you want? So I think Handy Quilter did a very good job to take that information, create a product or products that were really satisfying and delivering what the end consumer wanted and needed. And and that really set them on the trajectory to become today the leading long arm company in the world. Yeah. Okay. That's great advice for any business. And so you were there for quite a while and then I think left briefly and came back to take the role that you're in now at Premier Needle Arts. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So I'll tell you family first, right? Family um, in my in my world is we, we focus on our family. We had, a, we had a child who had some real health issues and uh, I'm one who can dig in and do all those things. And I was traveling and trying to help build a company up. But the reality is family was much more important than even the best opportunity in business. So I took a small hiatus as the CEO of Handy Quilter um, left the company, but still remained on the board, still as an active board member and as an advisor um, for about 18 months, and then was asked by the equity group to come back to take uh, a role as we were going to expand and really start into M&A. And uh, so I was, uh, I'll probably start crying here. So let, let's, if I do just 
I mean, there's not many, too many times in your career where you are invited back. And I can remember standing in my living room, talking to the equity group and literally tears coming down my, my cheeks of a place that I loved and enjoyed and love the passion that the consumers have and the quilters have and being asked if I will, would consider coming back and help build the company to, a, to a never, another level. I mean, still today, I know we're not on video right now, but I'm wiping tears away. <laughs> it's, a, it's such an emotional component for me, but that, that's how I came back. Okay. And, um, and I wondered if you could just briefly explain for, the, for us, what is private equity? Just for somebody who maybe has heard that term tossed around a little bit, um, but doesn't maybe truly get the nuts and bolts of what that funding model is. So I think many people would turn to things like Shark Tank as the private equity world. And yes, that can be considered there. But private equity is, uh, think of a group of uh, a fund that's put together with people's money, usually um, funds like a fireman's fund or an education fund or very wealthy individuals will pool their money together. They'll join into a private equity group that will hold those funds and they'll go out and buy really good companies, put that money to work as capital in hopes that they get some sort of return or investment. So the best way I can think about it for many of our listeners, um, when we're in business, just like we own a home, you will find the best money that can help you facilitate what you want to do to build your new home, to expand your home, to get a bigger home. The same idea works in private equity. You find the private equity partner who has the funds, who understands or wants to understand the business, who will, who will get behind you and help you grow. And we're utilizing their funds to help us grow. And in return, they own a portion of the company. And at some point in time, they will get a return on their investment. And is that is that return typically a sale of the companies? It's it's some sort of restructuring of the debt of the company, which normally comes at they'll call it a transaction, which is a sell of a company. So I equate it back to a mortgage because most of us have mortgages. If I want to get a new mortgage and I find somebody who has a better interest rate, I find a better mortgage company for myself. I switch it out, and some people take money off the table, and some people get more money and do whatever they would like to do. Very similar in business, very similar approach. We want to utilize debt in a smart way, not over leverage ourselves or get too much debt. Okay, thank you very much for that explanation. I think it it lays it out in a clear way so we can kind of grasp what the structure is here. And so Ursula, I would love to turn to you. I know you spent several years, many years in the top role at Creative Bug. And that was the last time you were on this show talking all about Creative Bug, which was really a pleasure. Um, And then you had that brief period at CSS and then took this um, new role at Crafts Group. So I'm wondering what drew you to this company in particular? So it actually does go back to Creative Bug days. I used to have a gathering at Creative Bug um, called Friends of Creative Bug. And I discovered that um, just within my career that I touched retailers, wholesalers, media, manufacturers, and there was no real place where everybody could come together and mix and mingle and get to know each other or do business together. There was different places you could go during the year, but there was no place where that that whole collision happened. And at one of Friends of Creative Bug, um, I invited Matt Peckham along. 
and um, we had a great we had a great great speaker. Um, I'm a very big fan of brandscaping by Andrew Davis, and that's where I got the getting friends who create a bug together. Um, and uh, Andrew wrote that great book many years ago, but it totally transformed my life. And so Matt and I kept in touch. Um, I visited the office here a couple of times in Vancouver, Washington, so flew up from San Francisco, but kept in touch over that period of time. And then Matt got back in touch with me a few years back and said, would I consider moving to, to Vancouver? And we kept discussing it over a, a long period of time. And then I met with Mark then um, at the quilting show in Ali Pali um, back in 2020, oh my God, 19. Um, so pre-pandemic. And um, we all had much the same vision and dream of what this this company could be. And so I joined in um, January 2020. So flew in, started on the 6th of January. And can you talk a little bit about what your role entails? So what are you actually doing day to day and what are you in charge of? So I'm in charge of sales and marketing. So the marketing team here, um, I try to keep everything simple because um, I think that's the easiest way for us to, to work. And especially during a time of pandemic that people keep things front of mind. So I'm responsible. We set down our pillars, which is excellence in content, excellent in social and excellent in influencer. And then underneath that, then I said, we have to have a foundation to build all that on and everything to be measurable. And that foundation is our marketing technology stack. So it's what we use for sending out our emails, which is Clavio, what we use for managing our influencer program, um, which is Maverick, and then um, other, other areas that we're using for SEO and then obviously um, social media as well. So these are really clear things that if you get up in the morning and you don't have a huddle because you're all working from home, that you know that these are the things you have to work on. So I'm responsible exactly the same as I was responsible in my other positions is for growth and really fueling that growth by keeping it simple and making sure we have the right tools and using the tools because you can get a tool. And you can just use it for one thing. So you can get Clavio and you can just use it for sending emails. But if you really dig deep into all the abilities of those tools, then that's when you get sort of um, really, really good results. And there's a massive Gartner study done. And they were saying that companies that use at least 60% of the capacity of the tools that they have, they will be the ones who will succeed, where a lot of people just scratch the surface. Wow, that's so interesting. And I, I'm not, I am familiar with Clavio as an email um, service provider, but I am not familiar with Maverick. So you said that that was used for managing influencers. What is that? So there is, so there's Upfluence, which is the big one, um, and Upfluence is being purchased. So that's sort of being folded into a, a much larger business. And then um, Maverick is a, it was a a small agency in New York that recommended it to me. So that's more of a startup. Um, but I like working with startups, as you know. Um, so you get people who are hungry and humble and um, and really help you drive the business. And you get that personalized sort of interaction. So we meet up once a week. We discuss what we're trying to do. We talk about the platform. 
some improvements they can make, some things, improvements that we could make as well. And uh, it's just a really good way of managing it. it, manages the contract. So if you're going to scale as well, it's really, really tough, as you know. You can have somebody managing maybe 10, 12, 15 influencers max, and that's a full-time job. But if you want to scale all the contracts, all the management of payment, all the tracking of posts, all of that kind of thing, you're better off getting some some partner. And there's plenty out there that can help you with that. And these influencers are individuals that you've identified as having sway over an audience of some, you know, a passionate audience of some size, and you're working with them as almost a marketing partner to help to promote the brands. Correct. And the interesting thing there is they don't have to have some size. They have to have a passion of followings and right. be really genuine. And a lot of influencers that we work with, and, and Mark will attest to that, is anybody who has influence. So that's right down to educators. So we all have influence out in the world. And it's that genuine voice. And a lot of it say it, it, not necessarily what you would think of the glamorous influencers that you might see on YouTube who are selling perfumes and and cosmetics, we really, really want to get into people who are really passionate and have a passionate, loyal following. And Mark, um, back to you, we were talking about private equity. And um, I know Bluepoint is now the, the partner there, and they invest in lower middle market companies that focus on like consumer products and distribution and manufacturing. And so I just wanted... Um, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about them and also just to clear up any rumors that are continually circulating that um, that you have no plans to buy a trade show, including Quilt Market, because <laughs> you and I have spoken about this before, but that rumor does persist. Yeah, that's, it's always interesting what gets put out in the, you know, look, we, we serve, as Ursula uh, said, very passionate people. And uh, they're passionate about everything in their lives. And sometimes that passion gets them moving in one direction. And we, I, I sit back and kind of smile at things that people think they know and they may not. So let's, let's talk a little about Bluepoint and then I will make sure that we take care of any rumors or speculation that's out there. The um, opportunity with Bluepoint Capital Partners is actually our fourth equity fund or peak private equity group in the last 17 years that we've kind of worked through. And and they, as you suggest, they're located in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, they have offices in Seattle, and they have an office in Charlotte. And they really focus on these really great regional brands, whether they're manufacturing, wholesale distribution, or consumer. And so we were able to um, become part of their portfolio back in December of 2014. And th- their help with us has helped us uh, expand and look at from more of a digital strategy approach from a data standpoint. We spend quite a bit of time, effort, and energy uh, collecting more data. And I think, Abby, you and I have had several conversations about how much we gather data uh, because we want to understand what the consumer is telling us so that we can come up with these good products, that we can come up with the right things that the consumer is asking for. And so they've really helped us hone in on those skill sets, as well as, as you suggested, M&A or mergers and acquisitions. And that's where um, Ursula and Matt and others have come into play. Our focus has been on creating an environment where we can aggregate really strong brands and leader, leading brands with inside of this marketplace. So today, Premier Needle Arts really has two large divisions. The manufacturing division, which is focused on 
more of a B2B concept through uh, creating great machines and products around long arm. And then as Ursula suggested, lots of education and content. And then the other side is really much our consumer and direct to consumer division that has connecting threads, we crochet, nitpicks and superior threads where those are all very individual brands and those brands are really critically and important to us. It's not about premier needle arts. It's all about the brand and how we service the customer in a genuine, enthusiastic, passionate way and create the products that those consumers are looking for. And I would say this, Ursula, and maybe you can help me out with this a little bit, is that we don't want to homogenize those brands. Those brands need to have their own clear, distinct voice, their clear, distinct go-to-market strategy, clear, distinct product and product offerings. Did I say that right, Ursula? Yeah, and I think when you say the clear, distinct product offerings, Abby, your initial question to me, another reason why I joined um, this fantastic group is, is that I don't know anywhere else in the world where I could work right now where we own the development to the doorstep. So, for example, with our yarn for Knit Picks and We Crochet, we come up with the development of the yarn. Um, so I'm going to give you an example. Um, we um, Last year, during the pandemic, I really wanted to source an American yarn. And as these things happen with just coincidences and everything else, um, we contacted a, a, a lady rancher, Jeannie Carver, who is up in the high desert here in Oregon, about like 200 miles away, probably even less. And um, one of the ladies here, Hannah, she had seen Jeannie speak a few years ago in Portland. And so I called up Jeannie. She's got a she's got a, a, a ranch up in the up in the high desert. She's got fabulous flock of sheep. And I said, hey, Jeannie, uh, we'd like to do a project with you. And we want this to be long term. And she said, yeah, I've got some fleece. So we bought her fleece, bought her whole harvest. Um, and then we've had that. We, we, we played around with some dyes as well that we took from the land. And Jeannie, not only is Jeannie carbon positive, she's carbon neutral. She's figured a way of ranching by putting carbon back into the earth. So we've spun and now we've launched this yarn um, uh, three months ago. So we've got the initial launch under, under our wing. It's a beautiful soft yarn. Um, and then what we do is we figure out the marketing planning in that. So it's brought to you by Nitpicks, but it is high desert yarn. And then we then we, we take it, we deliver it to our wonderful warehouse in Ohio. And then we create inspirational patterns. We create emails and marketing around it. And then we send it from our we send it from our warehouse. So we own the whole development, design, distribution to the person's doorstep, what box it shows up in, how it shows up, everything. And that is absolutely delightful. And I think that's where Matt is talking, um, Matt and Mark always talk about sort of, we actually own these brands and we own them from soup to nuts. We're not relying on anybody else. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Wool and Waves. Wool and Waves is an online yarn, needles, and notions shop. They are based on Vancouver Island and owned by Christine, who never stops crafting. Wool and Waves is a source for Canadian indie dyed yarns and must-have needles and notions. 
They offer free U.S. and Canadian shipping with orders over $100. You can find Wool and Waves at woolandwaves.com and at yarn.ca. Their Instagram account is Wool and Waves Yarn Store. Wool and Waves loves to help customers combine beautiful colors, and they can actually even help you over Zoom, which is pretty awesome. Listeners to this show can save 15% off regular priced yarn, needles, and notions at Wool and Waves with the code CIA15 until November 30th, 2021. So check them out at woolandwaves.com and yarn.ca. Thank you so much, Wool and Waves. And now back to my conversation with Mark and Ursula. Yeah, and I think that's really critically important because then, as, as Ursula knows uh, so well, is that when we then have conversations with the consumer, these genuine conversations are very passionate and we're providing, their, we're feeding their passion with all these wonderful products that are, are out there. And it's not that we're trying to combine all these brands and make something that it's not. And that's, that's really our focus, Abby. And I think you asked this question earlier is what, what is P what is Premier Needle Arts really? And it's, it's really a holding company of really solid brands that are comprised of wonderful team members who are passionate about what they do. And, and that's what we continue to do. And that's one of our pillars from a premier needle art standpoint is how do we continue to grow and be successful and take care of our customers without getting too big for our britches, so to speak. Right. And that's really continuing to f- part of it is the M and a strategy or mergers and acquisitions where we find wonderful brands that have fantastic stories of great products who understand that consumer so well. And we invite and enjoy to have those conversations and an opportunity then to um, build and grow the business. So let's let's take care of one of your other questions, right? Which was, so there's lots of rumors and speculation, Mark, that you might go out and buy a big trade show group. Um, that th- Those are absolutely false. We have definitely looked at all kinds of different businesses uh, throughout this wonderful crafting environment. Those that are focused on the mass market to those that are focused really niche um, and, and including at some point in time, looking at various ways that we could focus on the consumer. But we have never looked at and do not plan on looking at a trade show. We think that that's not who we are. We are product-driven, consumer-driven marketing companies and brands that engage with the consumer in education, content, and product we're, we, I don't think we'd be very good, and Ursula, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. I just don't think we'd be very good at creating and running trade shows or consumer shows. That's that's not what we do. Uh, we, we would goof it up, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think some, one of the mottos of my life is being great at everything is not executionable. So you pick what you want to be great at and you double down and you're excellent at that. That's a great motto. And Ursula, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that We Crochet is the newest addition to the family. And I wondered um, what was the motivation behind starting a crochet brand? So um, as I don't know if you know this, but sort of my first foray into crafting in the US, because obviously I was I was a craft publisher in the UK, but was We Crochet um, was... Um, 
Crochet Today magazine. Okay. And um, Crochet Today magazine was a great magazine where it was where you where crocheters could come and hang out. And I truly believe one of my other mottos in life is serve an underserved audience. And I really feel since that magazine closed that there's no real, really, really strong community for crochets to hang out. And like there's Ravelry, but Ravelry is predominantly knitting. And I'm people can write in and say that's not true, but that's my opinion. And there might be other opinions out there. But I we just wanted to create a real community where crocheters could sit down and wallow in crochet and everything crochet. And and that's not to say crocheters knit and, and knitters crochet, but when you're in that frame of mind, it's that whole that whole niche um, or niche that um, that uh, Mark was was referring to is that when you're in your passion, you want to get really down deep into it. So we crochet is a community of passionate crocheters, and we lead by design. So we have the We Crochet magazine which is very much a collection that we have um, every four to five months. And that is a collection that we put together and then everything else lives and breathes around that and all the marketings around that. And then introducing crochets as well to a lot of, uh, there's a lot of acrylic as we know in crochet. Um, but the fact, the fact that Knit Picks has started, has developed its yarn from 20 years ago and able to, put more premier yarns at much more reasonable pricing because they don't have all the middle people taking out their chunk, all the distributors um, and then bricks and mortar and all of that, that we're able to actually deliver to crocheters um, different qualities or different qualities within the yarns that they can go and play with now at a lower friction or entry to market because they're more reasonably priced, but they're the real different qualities so we're playing around with that with some of our designs and I I thought it was interesting um some of the marketing strategies you mentioned the the magazine and and the magazine is really I mean it's a print product and I I would say maybe it's between a catalog and a magazine (laughs) which is interesting and I, I think that's a trend you know where you get what what it, what essentially would be in the past maybe considered to be a catalog in the mail, but it's got, you know, features of it that are more reminiscent of a magazine. So I wondered if you could talk about that. And then also We Crochet has a podcast and that's an interesting move for a new brand too. So the, um, the magazine, I would say the magazine is a collection of the best quality and um, the best inspiration that you can get for a story. So we try, we try to create stories within the magazine. So you'll have collections of things together. There, it's what you talk about. I talk about magalogs, and it's interesting. Uh, sort of, I think like it's a magazine catalog, but this is more of a magazine where we're taking nitpicks is we're trying to turn um, and connecting threads. We're looking at putting more editorial and more stories in there behind the people who are designing for us. Like we have our own fabric designers here. We have two in-house fabric designers designing our own collections. I'm sure people want to know where that inspiration comes from, the why, the substrate that we print on, why that is superior, where we get our cotton from. So we're going to be putting in, we're going to be putting in, more editorial into our catalogs and they will be probably magalogs or catalogs mags. 
Um, and um, but there is, I, and I think there has always been that in magazines, but nobody's really realised it before. I think all magazines are pretty much curated to to giving you up content, but the content that you've got interested in purchasing because that's where your mind is at that time and it fulfills another desire. And then on the podcast, the podcast has been hugely successful um, and it's built on the back of the success of the Nitpicks podcast. So the We Crochet podcast, really, really loyal following. And the reason why we did that is that the Nitpicks podcast um, rates up there. Um, I'm sure you look at the ratings all the time. You're always up there too, but rates up in the top podcasts and crafting regularly, like the top three. So it was just something that we've got, and again, a really good in-house skill of doing and having those conversations and having that engagement um, really works for us. Yeah, I think it's an interesting strategy and one that is maybe underused, underutilized by brands um, in the craft space to say, you know, we're a fabric manufacturer, let's start a podcast um, because it's a different, more intimate connection with your consumers. And, um, and I think it's really powerful. So I think that's great. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, well, let's let's go to mergers and acquisitions first, since we've mentioned it a few times, Mark, around um, kind of your strategy when you're looking at companies. I know you look at companies quite a bit. Um, and and my guess is the majority of them are don't make the cut and and just a few do. And so when you are looking at a company to think about bringing into the fold, what are you looking for? That's a great question. I mean, there's very distinct components, right? And and so I would say if we were trying to list them down to just a couple of variables, the reality is it needs to be a leading brand and that brand needs to be engaged with the with their end customer or end consumer. And they need to be engaged in a way that there's passion there, that there's enthusiasm, that there's genuineness about who they are and what they're doing. Uh, and as the Ursula said, there's a story there, right? We're, we're just not looking for companies and there's plenty of really good companies that have really good products, but that engagement in this arena, this this group of people that we service and take care of um, really needs to be about that storytelling and what they're doing, what they're doing for their communities and how they're passionate about that. That's critically important to us. Um, and we also want to make sure that those those that team that will be joining us because we're all about the team or really I would narrow it down to four real critical components. They need to be humble, which is sometimes very difficult. I mean, you can still be very passionate about what you do, but be humble. You need to be humble. You need to be hungry. So hungry, meaning, Hey, I, I, there's still opportunities. There's still things we can do and really uh, being curious about what they're doing. They need to be smart and smart's not so much about the intelligence smart, but smart about what's going on around you in the environment and in the social areas and and, and the team. And the other things, they need to be passionate about something. You know, I'll use myself as an example. I'm not a quilter. I'm not a knitter, but I'm passionate about those things. I just don't happen to, I don't have the skill set to be able to do those things as well. Right. So hungry, humble, uh, smart and passionate are really key variables that we look at when, when whether that's a company or a brand that are reaching out to us or that might come through a traditional methodology that somebody is for sale and, we'll, and we want to look at those 
those folks. And so that gives you a really quick snapshot of what we, what we do. It's a little bit more complicated than that at times, but uh, there are so many great brands out there. It's always fun to learn what really motivates and drives that brand. Yeah. And I feel like often in craft um, companies just close rather than um, sort of realize their value. And, um, and, you know, when, when maybe the initial leader is ready to move on. So I think it's I, one of the things that I try to do is connect buyers and sellers because I often see businesses for sale and, um, or businesses that are getting ready to just shut down and trying to find new, new people to, to pick up the, the, um, you know, where that leader left off, um, rather than just let it go. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. And I think you are a very big advocate of that. And, and thank you, because there's been leads that you've provided to us before, too. So there, there's opportunities there. And I would say for those that might be listening that are in the business world that might be in that same um, condition is don't wait too long. There's an opportunity for you to create a succession plan. And that succession plan doesn't have to be passing it to somebody in your family. It could be passing it to a really good employee. Uh, employee. It could be finding somebody else who's very passionate about what you do and you adopt them and, or they adopt you. There's, there's opportunities there. And I think you hit the, the nail on the head, Abby, to some degree is that people don't understand what their companies are really worth right. or their brands are really worth. And, you know, the market will tell us what they're, what they're really worth from a dollar standpoint. But the reality is that you do make a big difference in people's lives because you feed the passion that this, uh, this environment really needs. And it's, it's a great thing to be a part of. Yes, absolutely. And um, you touched on earlier about collecting data and the ability to do that with the funding that you have. And so you conduct or Premier Needle Arts conducts an annual survey of the quilting market and share kind of a summary of the results with the community, including with us, which we're grateful for, because there really is, I found a dearth of data or at least like accessible data um, when it comes to things like the size of the craft market and consumer behavior. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about kind of the nuts and bolts of conducting a research study of the size that you do, um, because I know I've learned from you about how expensive it is and also how complicated it is. Yeah, and look, I, I think the opportunity, and, and Ursula would, would agree with this, is we use experts to help us do those things. Sometimes we think we're experts in those areas, but I can tell you gathering and asking the questions the right way so you don't bias the data or you um, suggest an answer with inside of your question. So we, re- we really use outside expertise to help us facilitate some of those um, best practices so that the data is pure and it's, and it's usable. So there's many things that we do. We'll use outside resources. We just finished a very large study, again, around um, the, the quilt market itself and also in the yarn market. And we really spent some time, effort, and energy talking to those end consumers, talking to business leaders, talking to brands in one of those studies. And then I think the one that you're referring to is our quilting study that we've been doing for 12 years where it's really focused on those end consumers. And so the practice is finding the right technology to help you facilitate that, whether it's a off-the-shelf product like a, a survey monkey or something like a survey monkey, or to using professional um, aggregators of data who can pull those things in. It's that technology can, piece that can help you quickly gather that information versus trying to put it through spreadsheets, I think is really critical for anyone from a small business to a large business. 
and then going out and, and making sure that you utilize internal resources and external resources and to focus. And I think Ursula's helped us tremendously focus, keeping ourselves in that lane. What are you really trying to know and understand? And what, what do we need to know today about what the quilter needs in the future, what the knitter needs in the future, what the crocheter needs in the future? And I would say this, um, not only Ursula brought a lot of that knowledge about crochet and the We Crochet brand, but we had identified that a year earlier as a key opportunity through some of this data gathering that we had done is that it was an underserved marketplace and that consumers were absolutely hungry for information in their specific passion area being, uh, being crochet. So we really focus and try to focus our time attention on that gathering, pulling it together and then putting it into usable format. For us internally, it's allowing our teams to have access to all of that data so they can understand that data, utilizing outside folks to say, here's what the data says, now what can you do with it? Because we can make data say whatever we like it to say. The reality is you need to make sure that you understand what the end consumer is telling you or your customer is telling you, and then what can you do with that? Yeah. And that really becomes the power behind it. So today I can tell you Premier Needle Arts focus heavily on that. We have a couple of really great analysts. We've put together a very large data set and all of our data is aggregated together from internal and external resources so that we have information. The quilting survey that you uh, referenced, we, we uh, sent information out to over 2 million quilters. And within a very short period of time, a couple weeks period of time, we had more than 30,000 responses. And uh, I'll tell you, it was not a short survey. And that information is very powerful because quilters and knitters and crocheters and crafters in general, general love to tell you what they want you to do. And they love to tell you about what their passion is and what they're doing in their current project. And that information becomes powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I hear you on making, you can make data say what you want. And also it's easy to ignore what the data is saying overall and go, kind of go in your own direction, but um, to your peril. So that's that's really important. And I wondered um, if, if Ursula, if you can talk a little bit about um, what your businesses experienced during the pandemic. And, you know, we, we saw this sort of rise in interest in crafting while everybody was at home. And um, so I wondered if there, if you saw that same surge and then how you think things might shake out as the world opens again? Well, that's the $6 million question. <laughs> um, I just wanted to sort of round up on what Mark said as well. Is sure. that the survey um, that is conducted here is huge, but going back to what Mark said at the very beginning too, talk to your customers talk to your customers, even just two phone calls a week, that's your survey beginning to take place and that's where the gold dust is. So going back to our customers and our customer growth in the pandemic is, um, is yes, we did see a, 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 a massive surge of people and uptake in crafting as everybody did um, from Walmart to Joanne, Michaels, us, everybody. And people were at home, people were looking to get back to things that they felt comfortable with, um, going back to what you grew up with or back to safety and that crafting can create that nurturing feeling. Um, and uh, we, uh, 
we quick we did something very unusual which i haven't heard and please contact me if anybody's heard of anybody else doing this so we when the pandemic hit we closed our warehouse down for 10 days so we decided as mark says family first people first so we closed our warehouse down because it was very very stressful in ohio at the time and we figured out ways um, of giving our warehouse people a rest and a restart. And then we then fast and figured out ways of how we redid our picking and packing. So before people would cross over aisles, um, we had very, very fast ways of doing it. So we slowed that right down where people would just pick one aisle. So they'd be in their own little bubble. So we, again, putting our people first. Um, and as we saw the uptick, then the big thing for the marketing team was we were pivoting probably every day. So the data that we have, and this is something that Mark built up on one of the other attractions I had to to um, to Crafts Group and Premier Needle Arts, is we were able to see what was coming into the warehouse, how long it was taking to ship, how long it was taking to pick and pack. So we were adjusting daily to temper people's expectations of what they were expecting when they were expecting it. So that was a that was um, a big pivot for us. And then managing the supply chains. And you know yourself, there's other people in other areas of crafting that are we're on seven days a week and double double staffed um, and managing into big supply chains. That was a that was a big thing as well. So managing supply chains dealing with places like Peru, where yarn was coming from. And then the yarn from Peru then, Peru was in a military lockdown, you must remember. So um, so dealing with all of that. And then the growth and then new customers. A lot of our education pages were very, very popular as well. So we have our learning centers. So helping new customers, helping them succeed in the projects that they were that they were entering into and then creating customer loyalty. So actually telling the customers the story, getting them involved in listening to the podcasts um, and watching the Facebook lives, creating that community and just being there for them in general and being understanding that there is a pandemic going on at the same time. Then moving out through the pandemic, and this is a general conversation, as you know, everybody in crafting is having this conversation, where will it settle? Um, and this is a focus group of one. Um, so I'm not speaking sort of anywhere else than my own opinion. I believe that people have seen the benefits of crafting. I know that I increased my time crafting and everything has opened up now in Oregon and in Washington. But still last weekend, bank holiday weekend here or holiday weekend here for the 4th of July, I spent a good three or four hours knitting. And I think you become... It's almost like a good addiction crafting that if you get them feel good endorphins as you're creating something and you're thinking about the person you're creating it for, um, things will settle down and they won't be the same as last year. But I do believe that we will get um, an uptick and maybe it's a 10 or 15 percent uptick to what we had in 20, 2019. In some areas, it might be slightly larger. I do know that the pie, this is another thing that Andrew Davis talks about in sort of his brandscaping, the pie, the, the pizza pie has grown and all our shares, our slices will grow at the same time. 
So um, rising tide lifts all ships, as John Laurie would always say from, from Coates. And I do believe that the participation will not go away and the, the handcrafting element of the joy that that brings will, will, will be more sticky now than it was before. I certainly hope you're right. Um, and I wondered as my last question as before we hop into um, your recommendations, I wondered if you might both talk a little bit about leadership um, because both of you lead and have led companies. And um, I think that leadership is just such an important um, thing to focus on. And a lot of us who enter into craft businesses don't really have the time or place to develop leadership skills in a thoughtful way, um, but they are so important. And so if you could talk a little bit about some of the traits you feel um, a good leader has and, and kind of how you go about being a leader. I don't know if we want to start with you, Mark. Sure. I was going to give it to Ursula, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take I'll take this. Uh, so I think there's there's several things that we could talk about from leadership and it's a, it's a fairly large general topic that um, everyone has their own opinions on and, and focus. But I would say this, um, here, here's what I've learned. How's that? I'm going to take it from my perspective of what I've learned over the past 30 years. And uh, I've made plenty of mistakes along the way. So I would say a couple of things. One, don't be afraid to swim upstream. Um, to make sure that you are willing to take educated risks. Um, and three is surround yourself. And these are not in order, but I would say this is probably the number one for me. Surround yourself with really strong people that are much better than you. Um, Ursula is much better than myself. Matt's much better than myself. Dare is much better than myself. I, I just feel like have the best people surround and, don't get caught up in your own ego. It's okay. And the fourth thing is it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to make mistakes and you can admit it. That's great. Thank you, Mark. Those are four things that I would say I've learned over my career that maybe I didn't know early on. What do you, what do you say, Ursula? So um, Abby, I love the fact that you said leadership, not management, because it's, that's a very important um, difference. And I would say the what I've learned over the many years as well is give people a voice and listen, encourage discussion and diverse views, um, give people a sandbox to play in, because that's really important. Doing it always the same way is not always a good thing to do. Give you a little comfort blanket, but um, it's not always a good thing to do. So like give them a sandbox. And then the other thing is what I have learned with abundance is be ready to eat your hat. So I have people have come to me with like ideas, like marketing ideas. And I go, Ooh, I'm not too sure. And then I go, well, go, let's go and play. Let's go and see, like, what is the risk? We can always pivot back again. And the amount of times I have eaten my hat <laughs> um, has been, and I enjoy eating my hat. That sort of, that's something that you think is not going to work. And somebody comes with an idea that you think is kooky or just so out of like what you would actually apply to this market. And um, it's fun watching that. And then sharing the data. 
So really, really important. I believe in empowering the staff and showing them what their work is netting. So talking about the finance with them, talking about the hard decisions, talking to them about how even pay is calculated or how the budgets work and how things are reset at the end of the year and and um, why they can or cannot have that shiny new laptop because our OPEX has run out. And like Mark talking about like mortgages, that kind of thing, like putting everything into like, this is our budget. This is our household budget for the year. And this is what we have to do. And sharing those numbers and treating people as business people. And they love it. You'll think that some creatives don't want to know when you start showing the figures or you show the email that that created and how much cash that generated. Oh my Lord, that's when the real buzz happens. And that's when they come knocking at your door and going, I've had another idea for an email. Right. It's so motivating. That success is really motivating to you. That's great. Really great tips. And I appreciate your willingness to share some of the lessons learned over both of your careers um, and lots to think about there. And so I do want to get to our recommendations and because um, you guys have both have some really nice ones. And so, Mark, we're going to go to you first. Um, and you wanted to recommend the Total Brain app. And I will admit I've never used this app before. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting, um, we found this as we were working with our team and um, the opportunity is when we're sitting here thinking about all the different benefits that we can provide to our team members, we found this particular app that allows us to um, engage our mental capacities in different ways and help us stretch our brain capacities. And so we added that as actually benefit for our team members to use. And it's a, it's a great way to help you understand how you, you think and maybe where some of your biases are and maybe how to retrain yourself into being maybe not so biased as many of us get caught up into it, as well as taking you through brain exercises that allows you to expand your capacity to think more clearly, to be more focused, to be more engaged, to be more thoughtful, to have more sharing ideas. Uh, and it's been a, you know, for those of us who've used it, it's a pretty interesting uh, little uh, application that um it's like anything, I think, Abby, if you use it, you find some really interesting things. If you choose to not use it, you're not going to find those. So I thought that was a fun little one. We found this in the past six months or so. That's great. Thank you. I love the recommendations of new apps to check out. And Ursula, you have been sewing and knitting clothes for your new grandson. Is this your first grandchild? Yes, it is. And and he's far, far away. <laughs> so he's in London. So I've really felt that connection my daughter and I were knitting together. She was pregnant. So we didn't actually see each other through the pregnancy. But every day we'd we'd FaceTime and show each other our knitting progress. She created a new way of casting on, which is very bizarre, but actually worked. But um, so we felt we were knitting um, a baby together. Aww. And then I've had so much fun sort of making little trousers and pantaloons and all of that fun stuff for him as well. And Sending all this in the post to him just makes me feel connected. So and yeah, I've been having so much fun knitting and sewing. That's fantastic. Yes, I love that connection um, together. And um, and Mark, you um, sit on the board of the National Quilt Museum, and you wanted to um, talk a little bit about its thirtieth anniversary. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the, it, it's been really exciting for me. I've been on the National Quilt Museum board now for four or five years, but some of us who have uh, never had a chance to go behind the scenes 
the amazing work of these incredible artists from the very simple basics to some of the most incredible art quilts that are found at the National Quilt Museum. And it's it's their 30th year. I can't believe that it's gone by that quickly. Um, but in Paducah, Kentucky, if you're near or around Paducah, Kentucky, it's a great opportunity to go in and see those various um, uh, quilt displays. And they're always changing out. And we spend quite a bit of time going out and, and finding other uh, groups of quilts that we like to have on display there. There's been some really fantastic things. So I would encourage anyone that's anywhere close to Paducah, Kentucky, to get by there or get onto the nationalquiltmuseum.org site and look at some of the things they're doing, even through social media, uh, and get out there and participate. Because it's, it's amazingly what these uh, what the quilters have been able to do through all these generations of time and the amount of quilts that have been aggregated in that one location is amazing. Yeah, I'd love to visit. I haven't been yet, but I will get there eventually. Um, and Ursula, you um, you are doing a lot of outdoor exploration. And where are you living now on the West Coast? Um, is it a different different place than you were living when you were at Creative Bug? Is that right? Yeah, so Creative Bug, I was in San Francisco itself, and we do a lot of camping and hiking around Sonoma and the hills there. Um, and now we've moved to, we're in Portland. So so the geography is very interesting here. So we're Portland and Vancouver. So Vancouver, Washington and Portland, Oregon are literally bridges apart. Um, and uh, so we're in Portland. The access to to nature and hiking and camping is incredibly close here. So, for example, David and I went camping, my husband and I went camping um, four weeks ago um, we were down at the coast and we got rained out one night and we packed up our tent and were able to go over the big mountains and we went to another campsite the next day where we were able to dry everything out and it was lovely and dry and we camped by a river. But I cannot, I don't even know how to convey to you the beauty of nature in this part of the world. The volcanics, um, the beautiful volca- volcanoes, seeing Mount St. Helena on the drive to work. Um, it is like incredible. And then just stumbling across strange things like um, we were down near Bend and we stumbled across these obsidian fields and what they are, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but what happened was is when a volcano erupted, it hit some kind of sand and it turned black glass. And like stunning, stunning vistas. All of a sudden you're driving along and we drove through sisters, didn't even realize it was sisters. That's where the coffee is from. It's not by two ladies. It's by these sisters. And they're just surrounded by these beautiful volcanoes. And it's stunning from the beautiful coast, um, which is very like um, very like sort of big Sur. You can find some really rugged areas. And then right down to the beauty of the majestic mountains. It's it's fabulous to be out in nature. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Now you made me want to go back on a trip to the West Coast. So, um, and um, and Mark, you were saying that you had recently had foot surgery and were um, kind of laid up on a recliner and got some colored pencils and started doing some coloring. Yeah, it's amazing, right? You find out when you have to slow down, and you. Uh, I'm now learning to walk again. Had some Achilles heel surgery. Oh, uh, and Ashley, our um, general manager and vice president of operations at our Columbus warehouse uh, sent me a big set of coloring pencils and an, and an, and a more advanced coloring book. So here I am sitting in a little recliner. I have to have my foot up over my head 
Uh, oh my gosh. Been in there for, time. for about three weeks, right? You can't really do much of anything. And it, it was a, it was interesting. You can, you know, you only can work so much. You only can watch so many of your TV shows or sitcoms or whatever you're going to watch um, and get caught up on whatever binge you're going to watch for so long. And so I picked up this coloring book and started coloring. And you know what? I, it was a great way just to kind of enjoy something else that, that got you know, those creative juices going for me. It was, it was yeah. yeah, it's very meditative. I agree. There's, it's so satisfying. Um, and um, Ursula, your last recommendation is a book that you recently read, um, Romantic Outlaws. I have not read this book. I cannot recommend this highly enough. So it's the story of Mar- Mary Shelley, which we all know who wrote Frankenstein, who was married yeah. to a very famous husband. Um, and then um, her mother, Mary, Mary Wollstonecraft. Now, I, I'm ashamed to say I hadn't heard of Mary Wollstonecraft. So her mother was very much in the reform of men not owning their wives, um, of like all of these things that were happening in like not that long ago. And she was a very, very big feminist and fought for the rights of women. And... Um, but also a great, prolific writer. So this very, very clever lady called Charlotte Gordon, she's written this book and one chapter is Mary Shelley and then one chapter is her mother, Mary Wollstonecraft. And her mother died when Mary was about three or four days old um, through complications of birth, which obviously was a very dangerous thing back then and still is probably one of the most dangerous things that us, us women go through. Um, and um, so Mary's life was fascinating, brought up by a very, very um, uh, um, literature, very, very important man, but very few female influences in her life. But it goes through her life and then it goes through the, the travels with Byron and then it goes through her mother's life and learning things that the rule of thumb. I don't know if you have, you have the rule of thumb here. Yes. So the rule of thumb is that there was a fantastic law passed to stop men from beating their wives too severely. They were only allowed to beat their wives as thick as their thumb. And if a wife took them to court and said the stick was thicker than their thumb, then they would have a little bit of recourse. Oh my gosh, I had so, no idea. Yeah, so it's just a it's a fascinating walk through history. Obviously, it goes through the romantic poets as well. And then it talks through some of the fantastic reforms that um that Mary Mary um that Mary did in her life that has enhanced our lives terrifically. Um so yeah, definitely um cannot recommend it. And then by accident, literally the weekend I finished reading the book. Charlotte Gordon was giving a talk at um, at the one of the museums in San Francisco, and I managed to get a ticket to hear her talk. Oh, about the best! Well. Yeah, yes, that's amazing. I absolutely love. Often, at, when I'm reading a book, I will put the name of the author into um, Apple Podcasts just to see if they've done an interview. Obviously, seeing them in person is the best, but it's great to get that backstory from the the writer themselves. So that's wonderful. Thank you for the recommendation. These have been great recommendations, and I, I appreciate you sharing them. And Ursula and Mark, thank you just so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking and learning from you both. My pleasure. Thank you. Lovely being here again. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. 
Today's episode was brought to you by Wool and Waves. Wool and Waves is an online yarn, needles, and notion store. Based on Vancouver Island, they offer a wide variety of Canadian indie dyed yarns and products from a carefully crafted list of small businesses. They're crafters too, and they can help you make your project dreams come true. Listeners to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast can save 15% off regular priced yarn, needles, and notions with the code CIA15 until November 30th, 2021. So visit them at woolandwaves.com or yarn.ca. Thank you so much, Wool and Waves. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. And when you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. 